0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's been seven years since the hit series Narcos premiered on Netflix. The show follows Javier Pena and Steve Murphy, the DEA special agents who took down Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar in the 1990s.
1: There were 3,245 murders in Miami. And outside the tourist bureau and the cops, no one must cared about that. What got the U.S. government to take notice was the money. Billions of dollars a year all flowing from the U.S. to Colombia. And that America can take.
0: The real-life Peña and Murphy served as consultants on the first two seasons of the show. They're speaking this Friday at City Winery in the West Loop neighborhood. And they join us now for more on how they took down the world's most infamous drug cartel leader. Javier, welcome to Reset.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: And Steve, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks, Sasha. appreciate you having us on the show.
0: I'm sure that you two get this question a lot, but now it, it's been several years since the show came out. I, I wonder how it feels to watch your life on screen. Is it any less surreal, Steve?
2: <laughs> it's not like watching yourself, to be honest with you. It's um, You know, we got to be friends with the actors that, that played our roles uh, and the actors that played my wife and have still stayed in touch with a couple of them but uh, when you watch it, it's not like watching yourself up there because there's there's some things that's like, that's not really happening, and that's not the way it happens. So That's interesting. But they certainly created a great action series.
0: Do you feel that way too, Javier?
1: Yes, yes. Like I said, uh, like Steve said, the series, it's entertaining. The timeline, the the historical timeline is accurate, but there are some... uh, Literary licenses uh, in the show. In fact, there's a lot of literary licenses.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. You have to remember that it is entertainment at the end of the day, right?
1: That is correct.
0: Javier, how has the show impacted your life?
2: Well,
1: you know, after the show came out, we uh, we wrote a book because uh, there was a lot of questions. So we wanted to write the actual true story of you know Escobar. Then all of a sudden we started getting uh invitations to talk and uh to talk about the real history of Pablo Escobar, we call our show, Taking Down Pablo Escobar, and it's basically the rise and fall. And all of a sudden, we started our, our speaking engagements, and it, it was just a whirlwind. Uh, we've uh, visited Europe, Australia, you know, a lot of different cities in the U.S., so it's it's been uh, interesting for us.
0: Well, Steve, take us back to the beginning. How did Netflix approach you guys to, to do this series, and what was the process like? Because I imagine... It wouldn't have worked out as well as it did if you two weren't there to guide on set as consultants.
2: Well, we like to think so anyway. (laughs) Um, We received a call from a retired U.S. Marine that we'd worked with in Columbia back in the day and and hadn't spoken to the guy in 20 years. And he told us that a Hollywood producer was looking to speak with us about our experiences. And, And we had actually spoken to two producers before about a year earlier. But they both had personal agendas, and it was either tell the truth or don't get involved at all for us. So uh, I told this marine, you know, thanks for no thanks, and and uh, after he tuned me up a little bit, uh, <laughs> I agreed to call the producer, who is Eric Newman. He's the creator of Narcos. Um, and in our first conversation, you know, Eric made his pitch, and I turned him down. And I'm, you know, I'm talking to Javier as all this is going on, so we're both in agreement on it. And uh, I'm pretty sure Eric about fell out of his chair because. We found out since then what links people will go to to be on television. But that that led to a meeting. uh, He called me in March of 2013, uh, February, I'm sorry, and then in March of 13 we met. We liked what we heard. Uh, Two months later, in May, we signed contracts, and in June of that year, I retired. In July of 13, we were sitting in the writer's room in Hollywood, starting to write the first season of Narcos.
0: Wow. And, and Javier, I read that... Your only stipulation was that whoever we do this with cannot in any way glorify Pablo Escobar and uh, the Medellin cartel. Talk to us about why that was important to you.
1: Yes, uh, and that is a great point. And, and that was part of our agreement. You will not uh, glamorize Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar should never be glamorized. You know, there's a lot of people who think he's a Robin Hood. You know what? He did help. Uh, he did build uh uh houses, but you know how many people did Pablo Escobar really kill? We we put an estimate at ten to fifteen thousand people Pablo Escobar killed. One of his Sicarios, a guy by the name of Popeye, who got out of prison a couple of years ago, his main Sicario says that the number is closer to fifty thousand people. Pablo Escobar should never be glamorized. Killed a lot of innocent people. Killed a lot of friends of ours. A lot of police officers. People for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. It's a special, I don't know, special message with this that this was the first narco trafficker. We called Pablo Escobar the inventor of narco terrorism. So that this is why we just say Pablo Escobar should never uh, be glorified.
0: Well, let's let's get more into uh, his. His story that the show tells the story of Escobar from his early days in Medellin to his ultimate death in 1993. Uh, Steve, bring us back to the beginning. How did Escobar get involved in the drug trade?
2: Well, he started out as a petty theft, Sasha. Um, he was filling the hubcaps off of cars, gravestones out of graveyards. And then he met an individual who asked for a little bit of assistance in moving. I think it was 17 kilos of, of cocaine, if I remember correctly. He saw how easy it was. He saw how much more money he could make. So he went and killed that person, took over his business. And it turned out that he had no remorse, no compunction about uh, killing other people and uh, realized how much money he could make. And it just kind of grew from there Mm. into the monster that he eventually became.
0: How did he rise to power in Colombia?
2: (laughs) This is funny because a lot of people say, well, if Pablo had been a legitimate businessman, he would have been just as wealthy. We don't agree with that because his business plan was we, I tell you what to do. If you don't do it, I'll kill you. I'll kill your family. I'll kill your pets. You know, that's not a legitimate business plan. Uh, the fact that he was okay with killing people, with torturing them, with kidnapping them, with literally taking photographs of a person's family and saying, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill your parents. I'm going to kill your pets. You know, and that's where the term plato plomo came from. You take silver in the form of money or you take lead in the form of a bullet. It mm-hmm. leaves a message.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are speaking with Steve Murphy and Javier Pena. They are the retired DEA agents who took down Pablo Escobar. You might recognize their names from the hit Netflix series Narcos. Javier, talk to us about how cocaine uh, first made its way to Miami. And, and the kind of impact it had on the city.
1: Yes, uh, in, in Miami, wow. let me just say that, that was Pablo Escobar's main city for the trafficking of cocaine. As Steve said, Pablo started small, then all of a sudden, you know, He was responsible for 80% of the cocaine that was reaching the world. And I remember, you know, cocaine in Miami's in the mid-'80s, some of the the prices were going for about $80,000 for one kilo of cocaine. $80,000. Wow. And he was, uh, yeah, this is why there's a lot of... uh, money back then a lot of money laundering uh, in in the Miami area a lot of businesses uh, were being bought because of the money that cocaine was producing but you know if, if you look at the financial aspect you know 1 kilo in Colombia to produce during this time Pablo Escobar's cocaine labs was $1000 to move it to Miami about 4000 so you're looking at $5000 for 1 kilo that kilos go for $80,000. So if you're doing 2,500 kilos on a daily basis, that's a lot of billions and billions that yeah. Pablo Escobar was making. Forbes magazine had him rated as the seventh richest person in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The wealthiest criminal in history. Uh, that That is yeah. definitely how you expand your operation to a, a multi-billion dollar empire. H- how did he <laughs> land on the U.S. government's radar exactly?
1: He started off late 70s and the 80s, really in the mid-80s, late 80s, when he started his atrocities. That's when he landed up. Uh, and when I'm talking about atrocities, I'm talking about his terrorism, putting a bomb on a commercial airline, killing 107 people aboard a uh, an Avianca flight that was going from Bogota to Cali. Then uh, he put a bomb on a building, a newspaper editor because he didn't like what he wrote. And that's how he started getting into the U.S.'s uh, radar. And then, again, the cocaine that was coming into the United States, everybody was saying, hey, this belongs to Pablo Escobar. So that's how he started gaining his notoriety. Yeah. Power, fame, and uh, like Steve said, you know, Plato or That was famous. Those were serious words in colombia so uh it, it was through the terrorism that he started really getting his his name out there terrorism and then all the all the money that he was making
0: and, and steve uh he escaped from prison at least once right how, how was he able to evade law enforcement
2: well uh you heard the thing, the, the the old saying money talks mm. <laughs> I, I think that probably had a lot to do with it um But the corruption factor was not as bad down there as everybody thinks it was. You know, there were some corrupt politicians and there were a few corrupt police officers and military people, Uh, nothing near what I thought it would be. You know, before I went to Columbia, the only Colombians I'd ever met were the ones I'd put in jail in Miami. And, you know, as wrong as this is, you know, you tend to stereotype the entire country. What we found is that Colombians are some of the best people in the world. The country's beautiful. They're proud of their country. We highly encourage people to go visit Colombia now. It's much much safer than it was back then. But Pablo was just such a vicious person, and people were afraid of him. Mm-hmm. You know, he if he's the person that he said if he's going to kill you, you better get ready for battle or run like crazy because he doesn't make idle threats.
0: Well, it eventually caught up to him. Escobar died on a roof in Medellin. What impact did that have on the drug trade?
2: Well, you know the. Uh, <clears throat> So people say, hey, did it really have any impact by taking Pablo down the Medellin cartel? It did. But as we all know, it didn't last very long because the Cali cartel was ready to step up. And then DEA went in with Colombian National Police and took them down. Then the North Valley cartel steps up and took them down. Then the guy named Don Berna steps up. It's just a, a vicious continuing cycle. And the truth is, you know, can you go out on just about any street corner in the United States today and buy cocaine? We all know the answer to that. Yes, you can. So um, (laughs) what it it did, the positive impact on Colombia, was that it did stop the car bombing. There's so many more people that survived simply because Pablo was no longer around to to issue his violence on the country of Colombia simply because he was fighting the topic of extradition. That's what his whole fight was about.
0: Well, Javier when you look back on that time, you know there was a lot of bloodshed and a lot of danger involved in your work. What was it that motivated you to keep
1: going? You know what the motivation was when you would see your friends and we had a lot of friends, police officers that were killed, then you would see the the citizens, the innocent. Persons, the people uh, waiting for a bus, the people uh, at a restaurant, at a store, the car bombs, that's what kept you going. And you know what? There was a lot of times where I would tell Steve, you know what? We should just let this guy give up again. You know, he can get his cozy arrangement. But then again, when you would see your friends, that to me, uh, getting killed was my biggest motivation that you can give up it's you you have to continue and like i said it was just uh to me the most dangerous was were those car bombs because you never knew where he was going to place them and it's just a bad bad situation yeah. uh but you just could not give up
0: well steve we, we saw your wife portrayed on screen how did living in colombia impact your personal life
2: well, you know, thankfully, um, I married the right woman. <laughs> she is uh, a very strong. She's very independent. She understood the mission that we were trying to work on. She understood what we were trying to accomplish. And, you know, the the day that Pablo Escobar escaped from his prison, the next day, Javier and I moved to Medellin for the next 18 months. And we would occasionally come home on weekends and so forth. But, uh, you know, pretty much left her alone in Bogota. She had not been to language school. But the cool thing I liked about her is that she was able to function on her own. You know, and I would ask, I said, you go out shopping and you barter prices and you, you return things and make exchanges. How do you do that when you don't uh, speak the language? Right. And she said, you know what? You go in, you, you have a smile on your face, you use the, the few Spanish words that you know, be willing to laugh at yourself, just be easy to get along with. And when the Colombian people saw that she was at least trying, they would bend over backwards to work with her. I was I was just shocked and amazed at how she got along. Now, if you go in and act like the ugly American, they'll be very quick to tell you, "Hey, the airport's right down the road. You can head on back to the United States if you don't like it here." Mm. And I kind of admire that about those people because they, you know, they're proud of their country just like we are. Yeah.
0: Well, fast forward, how, how is retired life? I'm having a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> what about you, Javier?
1: I'm kind of busy now, kind of busy, so, but it's, it's fun. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Well, before I let you both go, tell us about the event that you're doing at uh, City
1: Winery. It's, we call it a show, and it's really, like we said, it's the real story of the rise and fall of Pablo Escobar, how, how we did it. We have original photos, we have uh, videos, and we take the audience through a story, and we'll take them, we'll let them see our, some of the biggest cocaine labs in the world. Pablo Escobar's famous uh, Fincanopolis, where, you know, right now, the the hippos, which is a big story in Colombia. So it, it's a show uh, based on the real like I said, rise and fall of Pablo Escobar. And then we'll also let uh, afterwards uh, the audience ask questions and they can ask any question they want.
0: Yeah, well, as you you talk about the rise and fall there, Javier, what lessons can we learn from that? Talk to the folks listening right now.
1: The, the lessons are, you know what, there's bad people out there in this world, and as long as they can make money, they don't care what they uh what they sell, you know, this illegal drugs, as we all know. I mean, they're, they're killing people. And uh, like Steve said, we'll take down the cartel. There's another one out there. You know, what we believe a lot in education right now and starting off early with, with the kids, t- explaining the dangers uh, mm-hmm. that are out there. And, uh, you know, it's a deadly world of drug trafficking business. As we all know, it's a deadly world that they're in.
2: I'll give you the last word, Steve. Oh, come out and have fun with us. It's, you know, we're talking about a very dark topic, you know, the death of a man and, and his organization. But we're going to invoke some of our personal humor. We think it's funny. People probably think we're idiots, but we have a good time with the audience. It won't be, I promise you, you won't be bored. It's going to be like nothing that you've ever experienced before. So just come out and have some fun with the city wineries. You know, they have some good cold drinks and they have some great food. So come out and enjoy the evening with Javier and Steve.
0: Nice. Well, we have been speaking with Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, the real DEA agents featured in the Netflix series Narcos. Javier and Steve, thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.